I'll admit, I'm a little bit needy, or that's what my wife tells me at least. And, uh, you know, we got two little boys. They're both pretty needy. And we just got a puppy who's very needy. You know, as much as we like to think that we're self-sufficient and independent, I think the truth is, like, in the core of us, we're all a little needy deep down in there. That we depend, from the moment that we enter into this world, we depend upon somebody to feed us, to change us, to carry us around. That we're all inherently a little bit needy. That's how we were created. And so hang with me this morning. We're going to jump right into the deep end on this thing. Uh, So stick with me. That we as human beings were created to be needy. That is how God designed us to be. So we saw this quote a couple weeks ago from Dallas Willard where he says, you are a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means that you are not made to be (laughs) self-sufficient. That we talked about at the very beginning of this thing, that God has come to us, breathed God's breath, God's spirit into us, and we became a living being. We became living souls, that it's by God's breath, God's spirit, that we live and move and have our being. We were created to need God. We were created to depend upon God. And the soul's neediness is not a bad thing. The soul's deep need is not a problem. That the neediness of our soul is intended to direct us back to God. That that need that we have deep down, and we know that it's there, our need to be loved, our need to be accepted, our need to find meaning and purpose in our lives, even, even our need for, for a destiny, that all points us to God and our soul's need for God. That our souls have this infinite and unlimited need. And that infinite and unlimited need is met with God's infinite and unlimited grace. That the soul's infinite capacity to need is met. It's mirrored by God's infinite capacity to give. See, the problem is not that we're needy. The problem is not that our souls have this infinite and unlimited capacity to desire. Our problem is not our neediness. Our problem is our fallenness. That our neediness was meant to point us, direct us back to God, back to the one who could fill our infinite need for love, acceptance, meaning, and purpose. But instead, we've turned away towards all these other things to try to fill those needs in our lives. And we see this in in the opening passages of the Bible, that, that God, the creator breathes life in to us, that we are made in God's own image, that we are God's prized possession, created to have this intimate relationship with the creator. And yet shortly after, we find God wandering through the garden, calling out, where are you? 
where have you gone? That we've gone looking for something else to fill that need that we had. That we've gone looking for something else besides God. That we tried to be self-sufficient. That we, that we tried to do it on our own. That we tried to live independently from God and it broke God's heart. That all throughout the Bible, this is the story. That in the Old Testament, and, and especially in the New Testament, we see this. We see that God is presented as the one who desires wholeheartedly to have this intimate relationship with all of God's creation. And yet time and time and time again, God's creation just kind of stiff arms God. That God's people just kind of stiff arm God. And, and we're, we're polite about it, we're respectful about it sometimes even, but still just... Just stay there. Just stay there at arm's length. See this time and time again that God is presented as a father who wants nothing more than to have a relationship with his son, but the son says, hey, I'm going to go do my own thing. That it's a story of the prodigal son That while the son stiff arms the father and goes off and does his own thing, the father just waits and waits and waits for the son to return because the father refuses to give up. That God is presented as a good shepherd who loves the sheep, even lays down his life for the sheep, but the sheep still get up and wander away. That God is presented as a mother who seems to nurse us like her own children teaches us how to walk, but then one day we get up and we walk straight away from God. That God is presented as a faithful spouse who says time and time again, I love you, I'm here for you, I'm committed to you wholeheartedly, and yet we walk away into the arms of another. All throughout scripture, God invites us to be into a relationship that's deep, that's intimate, It's not casual or aloof or distant. A relationship that's that's not based off fear. That's not based off a holiday. A relationship that's not based off of sitting in rows and listening to someone else tell us about the great love of God. That's good. This is all good, but this is not what it's all about. There's so much more. That this is good for your soul. But this alone will never meet the needs of your soul if God is absent from the other six days and 23 hours of your week. God desires intimacy. And yet how often do we treat God respectfully, politely, but yet still just a little distant? God created us to need love, acceptance, meaning, joy, all of that, and to have all of those needs met by God. But instead, we've respectfully kept God at a distance. And we've looked towards things outside of God to meet the needs of our souls. One day, a rich man came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said, well, that's sort of a strange question, but I think you already know the answer. I mean, what have you read? And he gives, a, gives him a synopsis of uh, the Ten Commandments and the greatest commandment. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The rich man says, oh, great. I've, I've done all of those things. I've checked all the boxes. Jesus says, okay, good. Now put your money where your mouth is and go sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor and then come and follow me. The rich man says... Uh, uh, and he walks away from Jesus, saddened because he couldn't give up all of that to follow. How would you have answered Jesus? And you know, the, the thing about it, I think the reason why Jesus asks and ultimately why the reason the reason why the man walks away is, is not because the amount of money that was at risk. I mean, yeah, that's important. But I think that what Jesus was asking for was for the man to risk his independence. That the amount of dependency and trust and faith that Jesus was asking for, that, that the wages of that were just too high for the man. And so this is what the Bible calls idolatry. You know, we, we think of idolatry as, you know, bowing down to these clay figurines or worshiping voodoo dolls or something like that. But, but idolatry is, is, is deeper than that. That idolatry is the sin of the soul meeting its needs with anything that distances us from God. That when our soul is unhealthy, when there's this kind of disconnect between us and God, then our needy soul goes looking for something else to fill that need because our souls are kind of sticky. They need something to attach themselves to. And so we go looking for something to fill that distance. It's an idol. That idolatry is the sin that's always kind of behind the sin. That any time I sin, I'm allowing some other thing to have higher priority in my life than my relationship with God and God's will for my life. It's idolatry. And we're all kind of guilty of it, right? I mean, not you all, of course. You're good church-going folk. <laughs> You're here on Sunday morning. Heck, some of y'all are here on Wednesday evening even. You're singing, You are good. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, how, how often do we got our hand not up here, but just a little bit out here? You're good. You're good over there, right? Good staying put right where you are, Jesus. You know, here's the a, here's a tricky thing about idolatry too, is that idolatry causes us to try to make up for that distance that we have in our lives. That it's sort of like the husband that's cheating on his wife. And so he goes and buys flowers, buys these extravagant gifts, tells the wife every time he comes home, I, I love you, honey, so much. I love you, I love you, I love you. But, but all the while, maybe it's just to try to convince himself that he still loves her, even though he knows that he's not acting like it. Now all the wives are suspicious, right? And, you know, I ruined that nice anniversary gift and you got to go trade it in for something that's not as extravagant so nobody gets too suspicious. Just relax, okay? It's just an illustration, all right? <clears throat> but, but here's the point, is that since your soul 
isn't good with God, since, since your soul isn't always aligned, that there's some, there's some disconnect, there's some distance, there's some disintegration between you and God, what we try to do is we try to kind of fake it till we make it. Hey, God, did you see, I, I dropped a 20 in the offering basket today. You see that? God doesn't need your money, but God wants your heart. Hey, God, I read my devotional today, huh? You, you see that? Yeah, we're, we're tight, right? God doesn't need you to read a devotional to validate his truth. God gave you the truth to set you free. God, you see how I, how I served? God, you see how, how I volunteered? God, God, did you see, hey, I, I'm in church. You know, all that stuff is good. That's all good, but, but we can't use it to manufacture intimacy, Right? That so often we try to use all that stuff to, to bridge the gap between us and God, but any bridge that we try to build on our own good works never actually gets us to that intimate relationship that God desires for us. That ultimately, this is, here's what it comes down to. This is Ephesians 2, verse 8. It says, for, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's all about grace. It's all about grace, that the infinite, unlimited need of the soul is met with the infinite, unlimited grace of God. We can't earn it, we can't deserve it, we can't manufacture it. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You can't manufacture this relationship. He goes on and he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. That we were created to do all of these good things, but they're just intended to be the way that we live our lives. It's like, yeah, go get the flowers. Go, go get the gift. Go, go say I love you over and over and over again. Not to try to make up for the distance, but because that's just what you do out of love. That's what you do. Let me take you to the top of this passage. Ephesians 2, verse 1. It says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Whoa, okay, hold on. We just want to go back to the grace part, right? I mean, this is, this is a little harsh, right? Still Sunday morning, still trying to wake up, right? But it's important because, you know, sin is not just an action, it's a condition. And Paul says, it's like you are dead, totally dead. It's a condition. You see, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we are sinners. That we miss the mark, we fall short of the glory of God because our attention has been diverted somewhere else. In which you used to live. When you follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us, listen to that, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We all tried to meet the needs of our soul with something else besides God. And so like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But listen to this. But because, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. There it is again. It's like God came in and gave us CPR, breathed into our souls once again to make us alive. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What it all boils down to is, is Paul saying here, look, God has already made the relationship right. God has already tried to bring us back together. God is saying, we're good. We're good. We're all right. I'm now just asking you to trust me. I'm now just asking you to have a little faith in me that God has restored the intimacy of the relationship that was lost. It says that God has raised us up and seated us with Christ. The distance is gone. Those who are far off, we've now been brought right here. Intimacy is possible again. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to keep on treating God just politely, casually, respectfully, Distantly. And we we know how this goes. We'll keep God on the side while we still find the meaning for our life in other things. Still trying to find other things to meet the needs of our soul. And maybe maybe this new job, I'll find meaning through it. Maybe, I don't know. That maybe... Maybe I can accept myself after, after I hit this goal. Maybe I can accept myself after, after they accept me. Or maybe, you know, I, hey, I know I can't find forgiveness, but I know I can numb the pain. Trying to meet the needs through anything else. And what the soul really needs, what the soul desperately needs is God. That our soul will never be satisfied without God. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's the cry from a thirsty and needy soul. It's an honest cry. And so I know I should probably try to wrap this thing up pretty soon. Um, But I got one more story. And it's, it's a pretty good one. I'll try to make it worth your time. Uh, so just, just hang with me here for a moment. <clears throat> the story goes like this. It says, uh, one day, Jesus, and so you know it's a good story whenever a story begins that way, <laughs> that one day Jesus was with his disciples, and he takes them through a little trip through Samaria. Now, Jesus, being a good Jewish boy, shouldn't be in Samaria, And all of his disciples shouldn't be in Samaria. But for apparently no reason at all, Jesus decides to take his disciples behind enemy lines, into enemy territories, because Jesus doesn't have any barriers. You know, we try to put some barriers on Jesus, but Jesus just shows up uninvited anyways. Jesus doesn't wait for us to give him an invitation. He just shows up in our lives. Many of you ever thought, like, Jesus, what are you doing here? 
What are you doing with, with those people? You shouldn't, you shouldn't be there, Jesus. Or maybe even, Jesus, what are, you, what are you doing with me? Anyways, Jesus goes into Samaria. He goes into a town called Sychar. And when he gets there, he sits down at a well. And his disciples go off into town to get some food, but Jesus sits at the well and waits. He's waiting not for the disciples to come back, but he's waiting for a particular person to show up. He's waiting for a woman to show up at the well because she should be arriving any moment now. It's high noon. And the interesting thing about that is that since it's high noon, you really wouldn't expect anybody else to be showing up at this well. It's too hot out. I mean, everybody else who's come to the well to get water for the day has already come and left, but Jesus knows that there's one woman out there who still has a need. There's still one person out there who's thirsty. So Jesus sits by the well at high noon in the heat of the day. And sure enough, along comes the woman. As she comes to the well, and she comes to the well in the middle of the day because she's probably, one, either too ashamed to show up in the morning because of whatever reason, Or two, she's been outcasted by everybody else who goes there in the morning. And so she shows up in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, just like she does every day. But this day, she shows up to meet a man there named Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to her. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The woman said back to Jesus, excuse me? I know you're not talking to me. That you, a Jewish man, are not talking to me, a Samaritan woman. But Jesus answers back to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus isn't talking about the water from this well. He's, He's talking about living water, but she didn't catch that part. And so she says, but sir, you ain't got no bucket. And the well is too deep. How are you going to get any water out of it? All the while, Jesus is trying to get her to understand that she is the bucket and that he is the well and that there is this living water that's so different and so much better than this well that she has to come to in the middle of the day every day. But she's still not getting it. And so Jesus gives it to her as plain and as simple as Jesus possibly can. But whenever Jesus speaks as plain and as simple as he possibly can, there's always a little bit of a mystery to it. And so Jesus says this, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everybody thirsts. Everybody has a need. Everybody gets thirsty. Everybody drinks from somewhere. They were all thirsty. They were all searching for something to satisfy our thirsty and our needy souls. That some of us try to drink from the well of money. That some of us try to drink from the well of beauty. That some of us try to quench our thirst with sex, success, or sometimes even religion and religiosity. We try to use all those things to try to quench our thirsty souls. But if you try to satisfy the needs of your soul with anything besides the intimate relationship of God, you will stay thirsty. Everybody drinks from somewhere. How many likes did I get? How many followers do I have? How many friends do I have? Did I prove myself with my grades? Did, Did my boss notice the hard work? Did my coworkers congratulate me? Did they notice me when I walked past? Everybody drinks from somewhere. But not everywhere leaves you satisfied. That if you keep putting your validation in other people's hands, then you'll have to keep going back to them time and time and time again because it will run dry. So the woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Look, if you got free refills, let me know because I could really use that so I don't have to keep coming back here to this hard place so I don't have to keep hiding, so I don't have to keep pretending in the middle of the day, so I don't have to keep faking it, so I don't have to stay thirsty. She gets it. Or at the very least, she recognizes her need. She recognizes the thirst of her soul. So Jesus says, all right, go and get your husband. She says, well, about that, I have no husband. Which is true, but it's not entirely true. You know, we do that thing, right? Like, yeah, it's true, but... It's not entirely true. And so Jesus says back to her, Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I know that you're thirsty. I know that your soul isn't satisfied. And, you know, we're not given the backstory on what happened to the other five guys, and that's because it's not important. That that doesn't matter to Jesus. He, he knows, but what matters to Jesus is that he knows that this woman is thirsty. He knows that she has a need. He knows that there's something going on in her life that's leaving her dry and parched. And so Jesus is trying to offer her something, this living water that will satisfy her, that will release her, that will restore her. So she hears him. She goes back to her hometown. 
She tells everybody about this strange conversation she had with this strange man at the well, as she thinks he just might be some type of prophet. The story goes on. It says that everybody in her hometown believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. Because of her testimony, everyone came to believe that what, what could God do through you if you just came a little bit closer and you sat and you listened? What could God do? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. That the infinite, unlimited needs of the soul that can only be satisfied with the grace of God have been met. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me beside the living waters. And he restores, he refreshes my soul. That only God can restore and refresh your needy soul. Because only the grace of God can meet the infinite and unlimited needs of the soul. So, If you're thirsty right now, if you're thirsty, come to the well that won't run dry. That if you know you got that ache, that long, that longing deep in your soul, that you're you're looking for love and acceptance and meaning and purpose and, and all these other things, but they've all left you still wanting, longing, still left you thirsty. Come to the water. Come to the living water. And listen, you don't have to be polite about it. You don't have to be casual, respectful, distant about it. But if your soul is thirsty, come running. Come to the one who can satisfy the needs of your thirsty soul. Not that you'll never thirst again. We all have those times, but come to the one who can offer you living water that wells up within you. I want that. My soul longs for that. My soul pants for that. I've run to it because I know that I was dead or about dead and God is able to raise me up and seat me right here with Christ to show me the incomparable riches of his grace and his mercy. So come to the well. Come to the well that won't run dry. Come and have your soul's unlimited and infinite needs met by the unlimited and infinite grace of God. Lord Jesus, We know that we've tried our best sometimes to keep you at bay. Lord, we know that sometimes 
We've stiff-armed you. And Lord, you know the backstory. <laughs> you know our past. You know why we do what we do. But God, we thank you that you keep calling out to us. Come. So Lord, if there's any longing in our souls this morning, if any of us, God, are, are feeling a little dry, Lord, may we hear that. May we hear that invitation. May we see you sitting there right next to us, offering us that thing that we need so deeply, so desperately long for. God, help us get over ourselves. Stop thinking that we're so independent, self-sufficient. Help us to see our need, God, and, and come to you, run to you. Receive that which can restore, refresh our souls. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.